0: Okay, we are in the book of Luke. Please rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. One more thing about the Operation Christmas Child in your bulletins, I believe, was, is a, a copy of the instructions uh, to fill up those boxes. So that's what that instruction sheet is. So Luke chapter 3. Verse 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Idyria in the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that we can come here, Lord, from any manner of life, any place of life, any trial, any victory. And we can come here from a hundred different places in life, yet all still hear from you. Lord, only you can do something like that. You have a word for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would give it to us in power by the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So last week we were in the latter part of chapter 2. We're going chapter by chapter through Luke. In the latter part of chapter 2, Jesus, a 12-year-old boy visiting Jerusalem, What did he do there? Did he sightsee? Did he go on a duck tour of the holy city? No, verse 46 of chapters 2 says he went right into the midst of the teachers, of the rabbis who were visiting from all over the world. They were visiting from all over the world for the feast of Passover And he went just right into the middle of them. And what did he do when he was in the middle of them? He what? And before he asked questions, he what? He listened and he asked questions. And what was the result of all that? Verse 52 said that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus, Jesus Christ, supremely, he's our savior. He died on the cross for us, for you. He's our Lord. He's our master. We give our lives to him. But don't forget, he is our example. Many churches, many people, many Christians turn it up all out uh, the other way around. He's an example first, and n- nothing else really matters. Well, no, he's our Savior first. He's the resurrected Lord. But he's also our example. And wow, we saw him listening and asking questions. Oh. How? What a difference it would make if we spent more time not airing our foolish opinions about every conceivable topic of life. We become an expert in everything, don't we? Within, you know, 20 minutes, we know enough information about a subject to make us very dangerous. When when that happens with the Bible, we're really dangerous. (laughs) If we're not taking time to listen and ask, questions. James says what? We just went through James last summer. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Jump ahead, 18 years. We're in chapter 3. This one verse. Jumps ahead, 18 years. And it begins with, you know, it's kind of hard to navigate through this verse. A lot of people and places we've never heard of. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so that's the first name, Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria in the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. So Luke just fires at us all this detail. Why does he do that? Who does he think we are? Like history geeks or something? Hey, man, I was a history major. I love this stuff. But uh, anyway, I realize that most people aren't. But listen, there's at least two reasons why he's very particular about this. And he provides detail, really, that no other gospel writes about. He's like, he's a doctor. He's a physician, this guy, Dr. Luke. He's very meticulous. There's at least two reasons. One, he wants to make it abundantly clear to everyone. This is real history. It isn't a legend. uh, It isn't a fairy tale. It's real history. And if you want to test it all through secular historians or whatever, you just go right ahead. For years and years, Bible critics said Pontius Pilate was a mythical figure. Go to the web and look at it all over the place. Didn't exist. He was a mythical figure made up by uh, the Bible writers course, they all had to run into hiding in 1961 when an an Italian excavation team went in, discovered the, the city of Caesarea north of Jerusalem, and what did they find? A plaque, Pontius Pilate, Procurator of Caesarea. And then they found coins with his name on them. And then all kinds of other stuff. And it's just another example of the same kind of nonsense that's been happening so long. The Bible is always tested to be true. But there's another reason, um, and I believe this is the main reason. He's giving all this detail of these people and places. It's Luke's way of telling us that something... Uh, is about to happen that is really, really incredibly important. It's life-changing. It's earth-changing. It is history-changing, his story-changing. And what is it that's about to happen? Well, it's right there in verse 2. It says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness it had been 400 years since the word of God had come to a prophet in Israel from the last book of the Old Testament if you just flip back a few pages you'll see the book of Malachi that's the last book of the Old Testament from that time to the time where John received the word 400 years 400 years it had been and it was no coincidence that the last thing that the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament prophesied about was John the Baptist. Didn't use his name, but it said that a person was going to come right before the Messiah, and he was going to declare him coming. And so John comes on the scene. This guy John, he was a Nazarite from birth. Everyone know what a Nazarite is, I think, Samson. A Nazarite vow was a vow in the Old Testament that people put themselves under. And for a few, I don't know if you would call it fortunate or unfortunate little babies, their parents put them under it for their whole lives, in which they made a vow never to cut their hair, never to have alcoholic drink, never to be around anything uh, or anybody that was uh, uh, dead. So he couldn't go to funerals, couldn't go to the funeral of your own father or mother. It was a vow. Samuel was another one in the Old Testament, Samson. And this guy, John the Baptist, he lived in the Judean deserts. We know from the book of Matthew and Luke, he dressed in camel's hair. He ate honey and locusts. And man, these locusts, they weren't dipped in dark chocolate. You know, I, you put dark chocolate on something, man. I'll eat it. You know, if you put uh, if you dip a locust or a grasshopper in dark chocolate, man, I'm ready. Give it to me for Christmas. But th- th- you know, these these did not have that. They were like raw locusts. And verse eighty, verse eighty of chapter one says John grew up in the in the deserts. Judean deserts, and and again, he's 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 a pretty extraordinary guy. Now, Jose, can you flip the lights off? I just want to put up a couple of pictures. Oh, they're not there. They're not there. Okay, I'm sorry. We were going to put up a couple pictures. Did we not get the did, did we get the email from Guillermo? Oh, we didn't get it. Okay. So, we were I was going to put up these pictures of uh, of deserts, but um, it was a very desolate place but listen up there 's a one dangerous thing about reading about a guy like John. One big mistake we can uh, make when we read about him is we just think he 's this religious freak type of guy and and obviously there 's Uh, You know, I read about a guy who's uh, eating locusts and he's dressed in camel's hair and he's got hair uh, halfway down his waist and uh, uh, he's got hair half down his waist and and we think, how am I supposed to learn something from this guy? There's nothing I can learn uh, from this guy. Well, remember, there's a lot we can learn from this guy. Jesus says in Matthew 11, I'm sorry, did we do have the pictures. Okay, let me tell you. Let's, let's see where this, guy, where, where this guy grew up. This is, uh, this is pretty intense. Get the lights on. The, look at that, man. I'd like that to have that for your uh, front yard and backyard. <laughs> the Judean desert. Here's another one. I mean, uh, you know, you could scale those mountains if you're an adventurer, adventurous little kid. Look at that. Oh, there's a piece of green there, man. That's where I would be hanging out. This is where, this is the Judean wilderness. He not only was there with his ministry, it says he actually, in verse 80 of chapter 1, he actually grew up there. This is where John the Baptist grew up. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And so sometimes we get this idea that, you know, a guy like this, there's, What can I ever learn from a guy like this? And and again, we have the stained glass in a church syndrome where they're up there, I'm down here. They're up there with their halos around their head in the stained glass. And me, well, I'm just me. Well, remember though, Jesus said about uh, John, he said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, Among those born of women, no one has arisen who is greater than he. No one. John the Baptist was greater than Moses. He was greater than Elijah. He was greater than uh, Joseph uh, in the Old Testament. He was greater than Jeremiah. Listen, there is so much we can learn from this guy. Verse 2 again says, The word of God came to him in the wilderness. He grew up in the wilderness. He had learned to hear the voice of God. So that when the prophetic word came to him, when he was about 30, he got it. He knew it. And he was ready to preach it. But he got it, he knew it, and he was ready to preach it because he had listened how to learn. He had listened. He had learned, rather, how to listen to it. He had learned how to listen to it. Jesus says something fascinating about John that for years I I really... Did not understand it. As mentioned, he did say that there was never a man or woman uh, greater than he, ever. John the Baptist, born of a woman. We know that Jesus was not really born in in the sense he was not really, uh, he didn't have, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he wasn't including himself. But of a natural man, he was the greatest ever. But he also said this about John. D- do we have this? He who is least in the kingdom of, God, of heaven is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist. A- anyone ever, like, wondered what on earth this is talking about? I-, I-, I never could figure this out. Jesus says he's the greatest who ever lived, but what does this mean? He is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Well... It's actually very simple. Who's he referring to? Who's Jesus referring to when he refers to the least in the kingdom of heaven? Anyone want to take a quick guess? Who's he referring to? He's referring now. He's referring to you and me. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than uh, is greater than John the Baptist. Why would he ever say that? Well, the reason is, is the kingdom of heaven was ushered in after Jesus had been crucified, raised from the dead, and had poured out his spirit, Holy Spirit, on his people, you, if you have asked Jesus into your heart. And, and the Bible says um, that everyone who invites Jesus in their heart receives the Holy Spirit. Do we have that verse up there, Daniel? Daniel? It's not in red, it's in black. Receives the Holy Spirit. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, says this. It says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That was not the case with John. His body, here it is, right here. Do you not know? I love getting these verses right in front of our eyes. Do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. John could not say that because Jesus had not died and resurrected and poured out his spirit yet. He could not say that. And so when Jesus says he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, he's saying that. Why? Because he was in the kingdom of heaven, you Is the temple or are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, John learned to hear the voice of God in the wilderness, but you who are least in the kingdom of heaven, you, me, we have the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen, we need to learn to hear the voice of God. It helps if you go out into the Judean wilderness. I know we're in the city. I just love to get out in the middle middle of, of, of nowhere. But we have, you have, if you've asked Jesus into your life, the Bible says you're given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee of what is to come, and you learn to listen to the voice of God. To me, this is the greatest privilege of being a child of God, learning to listen. Just like John, he grew up learning in the wilderness. It doesn't happen overnight because the first few years of being in Christ, being born again, we have a difficult time parsing out emotion and, and what is really the Lord. But after a while, you learn to distinctly hear God's still, small voice. And so John heard it. And he learned to hear it, but then when the word of God, the prophetic word of God, verse 2, came to him, he got it, and man, did he begin to preach it. Verse 3 of chapter 3 says, And he, John, went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And, And John cried out, Repent! What does the word repent mean? It's a word, unfortunately, that's not used very much anymore outside the church. We have people come into this church, adults, who've never heard the word repent that's happened. Repent is a very simple word. It just means turning to God. That's it. There's not a list of specific sins. When someone first... Comes to God. There, there's all kinds of stuff going on in their life with it, which they don't even have any idea uh, that that they're doing wrong. But they do know this: there's a God, and I need to turn to Him. That is what repentance means. Repent is what John cried out. Then, verse four, it says this: "As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying." So, uh, this is describing John, and this is an Old Testament prophecy. Of, of the coming of John the Baptist. It says, this man, this voice, it will be like the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And then verse 7 says, and then he said to the multitudes, and then he said to the multitudes. So he was, the multitudes came to him. The book of Matthew says that all Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region of the Jordan came out to that, those places out there by the river Jordan, or near the river Jordan. They came to him. He didn't go to them. It actually says Jesus came to seek out the lost. John's ministry was re- really unique. people came to him, and so you know it, it it is sort of funny thinking about it like who was the first one <laughs> you know so, some John's living out in the desert, the spirit of God's upon him and 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 some guy is like you know. Minding his own business walking down the road. And here's this guy with like incredibly long hair and you know, grasshopper, you know, legs sticking out of his teeth and and and, and, and he's coming out, he's just you repent. And, 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 you know, he's he saying to them, the kingdom of God is near. The Lord is coming. Every mountain shall be brought low. Every crooked place shall be made straight. And all flesh shall, shall see the salvation of the Lord. And, and, and it's like, whoa, you know. There had to have been a first person or maybe it was a caravan. And what did they do? They went to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you what happened when they got there because don't don't misunderstand this let me tell you what did not happen as odd as john may have looked like and sounded like to that first bunch of folks those first bunch of folks did not run back to jerusalem and run around saying whatever you do don't take this road there's this wild crazy religious freak there he's going to get in your face and and and, and get, you know go some other way you guys possessed or something that did not happen it, actually it was the opposite They ran to Jerusalem, they said, leave whatever you are doing, pack your bags. There is a guy uttering the very words of God out in the desert, never mind what it looks like. We have been waiting for this for so long. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has this Holy Spirit upon him, and he's uttering words that just make my heart burn. That is what happened. there's a lesson here for us. Sometimes we want to share about Jesus or God with someone. Man, we get so, so self-conscious, so preoccupied about what we look like, sound like, act like. So the next time you're on the verge of talking to someone about God, and you start worrying about all that kind of stuff, just think for a second about John the Baptist and what he looked like, and I don't, don't start eating spiders or anything like that in front of the people. You know, but, or but 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 think about it. it th- here's the bottom line: the Bible says God is with you; He will be with. You. Go and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you. Jesus said. So, man, if if, if you're like talking to someone and the and and and, and, and you're walking with the Lord and it's, it, you're being led by the Spirit, man, it doesn't matter what you look like or sound like. And I'm not telling you you can like, quit taking showers and brushing your hair or anything like that. <laughs> Although maybe you can stop cutting your hair as long as your na- name is not Sam Cole. Uh, but but, um, uh, but the rest of you, if you want to stop cutting your hair, the point is, look, it, 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 if the Spirit, if you're, if you're walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and the Lord is saying, you know, talk to this person Don't worry about what you look like or even sound like. If you're stuttering or fumbling over your words. Look at what happened to John. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people went out to this really, really strange looking guy. As I'm looking at you guys, a couple of you look a little strange, (laughs) but not that strange. We can have confidence in that. That, 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 that Jesus is with us, verse 7. So what did he say to the multitudes? Verse 7, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, that means a den of snakes, a snarling, creepy, grimy den of serpents. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, from the judgment to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10, so the people asked him, saying, well, what shall we do then? And he answered to them, he who has two tunics, meaning robes, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, Uh, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, well, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate. Do not scare anyone. Or use your, the, uh, King James says, oppress. Do not oppress anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages just declaring the truth and it's just going right into people's hearts he's uh, except perhaps to that first group he's speaking here to a number of different sort of types of people or groups of people in verse 10 it's just the people in verse 12 it's the tax collectors in verse 14 it's the soldiers what about these poor guys and uh, verse 7, it doesn't name them. Actually, in Matthew, it does name who these brood of vipers are, these den of serpents. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders who had come out to him. You notice how, unlike everyone else, they're, in verse 10, 12, and 14, the people, the tax collectors and the soldiers, they're asking him questions like, what, do we, what should we do? <laughs> notice how the religious people, they're so self-righteous, they're not asking him <laughs> anything. Well, He wasn't going to wait for them to ask, right? He just went right at it, right into their hearts. And, and he calls them um, this brood of vipers. And, you know, they're not coming to seek God. They're not, uh, uh, not to seek the word of God. They were coming out because they thought they, not John, were the voice of God. They thought they were the people that people should be coming to. And they, uh, th- they were seeking a way to undermine him and his ministry. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming judgment or wrath? Meaning, you're not coming here because you're fearful of God's judgment. You're filled with pride and hypocrisy. You should be fearing God's judgment, but but you're not. And then he says to them in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Look, you're very religious. You show up to church. You've memorized your prayers. You've uh, burned incense, whatever. Uh, But your life shows no signs of a person who's seeking after the Lord. Who wants a relationship with God? You're your own God. You're your, you're your own. Your, your life is an idol to you. That's your God. Instead of uh, uh, pretending to be God's people, why don't you be God's people? And that's a word for you and me this morning. Instead of pretending to be church people, be God's people, that's what he is saying to them. And he also says in verse 8, do not say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham um, as our father. In other words, don't say, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Calvary Chapel, or I'm Jewish. No, that matters. There's only one thing in heaven, Jesus type of person in heaven, it's it's. People who followed Jesus or believed it or for people who lived prior to Jesus like these people, it's people who believed in God and the promises and the grace of God. That's it. There's no denominational. Can I hear it? i never said this. Can I hear an amen? I can't wait to get to heaven where there's no denominations, no names over churches, no titles. John's saying, don't, don't, Come to me saying, well, I'm just Abraham's. I have a descendant. I have a descendant. You know, I was born into the church. Or or one guy said to me one time, my grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. Look, we do that. That's what we do. Verse 9. Even now the Acts... is laid to the root of the trees. God's coming judgment is real, people. It's real. That's what he's saying. And it's coming. He's not like us, so he's waiting. <laughs> he longs suffer. He suffers long. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians thirteen four: love suffers long, meaning God's love for us. He, he suffers as he sees us in our disobedience. He suffers long through it, waiting for us to come to him. Verse 10. So the people, these are the sincere people, people who genuinely know they're not righteous. They are seeking after righteousness. Jesus says on the, uh, on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. That's who this that's who this is describing. The people come to him, and they say, what shall we do? And uh, Jesus says to them in verse 11, he says he, he says, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, two dresses of clothing, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Now, I, I just want to pause and reflect on that one. You know, we, 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 the, the church is just so filled with a sort of a religious churchy type of language and I think a very narrow view of what it means to repent, to turn to God. Sex, booze, drugs, and really, really wicked rock and roll. You turn away from those things. That's what repentance is. I'm not sure that really paints the full picture. I'm sh- actually, I, I'm sure that does not paint the full picture of what repentance is all about. Because listen, all that stuff, sex outside of marriage, drugs, booze, wicked, wicked, wicked rock and roll, that's all taken in, you know? What is really not ours to take in, we're taking it in. But repentance is about so much more. Repentance is not only not taking in what we're not supposed to take in, in, it's giving what we're supposed to give. It's about giving up our lives and giving it to another, giving it to God. Jesus himself defines salvation this way. This is what repentance is all about. Do we have this one up? (laughs) For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, if he has two tunics, giving away one. If he has food, give, give away that. Enough food, give away that. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what repentance is. That's the full picture. That's the Jesus picture. Look at There was just as much sexual immorality then. There was just as much drunkenness then as there is today. The people came to him and said, well, what do we do to to repent? And he said, give. Give your life is what he's saying there. Hmm, I, 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 I like that. And then in verse 12. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. And so at that time, tax collectors were Jewish people who had actually purchased the position of being a tax collector. People hated them because Rome, which was in charge of everything, the Roman government charged of everything, gave them this position and gave them, allowed them to collect just what was needed to send to Rome, and then everything above that was theirs. So they just squeezed the money out of people. And, you know, Jesus will always go to you and tell you the very, very thing that's between you and the Lord. That's in between you, that's in between you and the Lord, to the rich young ruler, he said it's everything <laughs> to Zacchaeus it was who was also a, a tax collector, it was just a portion to you or me or whatever there's some other thing. it's a tunic that we have that's extra. He, he's always going to point out that thing that's that's hindering our relationship with God or just outright, totally blocking it in verse 14 it says likewise the soldiers asked him saying and what shall we do so he said to them do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages See, I ever go to work and everyone's just murmuring, oh, the boss, you know, the water cooler language. Are they drinking, gurgling on their water or are they just murmuring at their boss? I can't tell. You know, this this type of thing, being a light to the world means being free from that, being a life of the spirit, a Christian life, a distinct life. And so he's just telling the soldiers, you know, don't go around bullying up people and be content uh, with your wages. Verse 15. Ah, before I go on, just want to remind us of, of something. Remember what this guy's name means. When we are in Luke chapter 1, they were naming him. They named him John. And people said, you can't name him John. His father's not named as John. His grandfather's not named as John. He doesn't even have a relative whose name is John. That was the tradition um, of the time. And so uh, Zacharias, his dad, said, no, his name's going to be John, although he had to scribble it because he could not um, he couldn't talk at the time because the angel had struck him unable to speak. And so his name... Was John. Does anyone remember what that name means? Johan. God is gracious. Anna, Hannah, Joanna, John, all the same really meaning. God is gracious. Now you may say, God is gracious. What's up with that? Uh, Calling people a brood of vipers, a den of serpents? Listen. Calling out sin in people's lives can be the most gracious thing you could possibly do to them. He's being very gracious here. There's a coming judgment. Hell is real. Look what he says in verse 17. His, speaking of Jesus, winnowing fan is in his hand and his and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the weed into his barn. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. I would say it's a very gracious thing to warn people about that. And you and, 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 and me, listen, don't be ashamed of sharing God's truth with a believer or an unbeliever. I know it's not politically correct, but you've been called to be, by Jesus, and if you call him your Lord, your Lord, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Man, you put salt in a wound and it hurts. Don't be ashamed of of stepping on someone's uh, toes or, or, or is like necessarily an ungracious thing. There's no need to declare God's truth sheepishly. Or with shame. Speak the truth in love, but sometimes, sometimes love is stern. It's always direct when there's open sin. You can't be diplomatic about that. You can do it in love. Don't shrink back. From that calling that God has given us, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6 says, and in his mighty power. And whatever you do, don't say it's just for just stuff religious freaks like John the Baptist. No, it's for you and me. Back in verse 15, it says, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Remember from the book of John, a different John, the apostle John, actually says, John writes that they asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah or one of the prophets? Who are you? Verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so what he's saying here when he says, I'm not worthy to, uh, uh, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, what he's saying is that I am a nothing compared to who is coming after me. I am a Nothing, a no thing, <laughs> is, is, is what he is saying. In John chapter 3, verse 30, is a famous utterance of, of John the Baptist. He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Listen, in many ways, the life of a Christian, once you come to the Lord, is a battle to remember. that apart from Christ, we are a no thing, a nothing. I read this, I don't know what you call this, a poem or a a saying or, or story or whatever about this whole subject. I think it's a great, great word for you and for me. about this very, very subject. It says this. I'll try to stay with me here. If you can start the day without caffeine, if you can get going without pep pills, those no-dose things, man. Yeah, I used to pop a few of them. If you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can overlook it when those who love take it out on you, when through no fault of yours something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can say honestly and deep in your heart, you have no prejudice against any creed, color, religion, or politics, then, my friend, you are almost as good as your dog, <laughs> John said, This one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Listen, we have no right. Ever, no matter even if we do this and more, what's described in this (laughs) in that exhortation, to ever be worthy of carrying the name of Jesus, which we do, and it's a privilege of ours. We're said we're people of the name, the Bible says. We are. No thing, but cloaked with the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks, anyone who opens up, I'll come in. And when he comes in, he makes us utterly, totally righteous, blameless before the Father, Ephesians chapter 1 says, blessed with every uh, spiritual blessing in Christ. But it's only because he's given us that righteousness. Jesus says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Heaven requires perfection. Heaven requires perfection. Even one sin keeps us out. The good news is that God so loved you, he sent his only son to die for you, raise from the dead, pour out his spirit on you, and give you that Perfect righteousness, which breaks open the doors of heaven for you. That's the good news. This says in John chapter 3, verse 2, that the word of God came to John. But John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Jesus was the word. He was the word of God. Okay, we will pick it up next week with that Jesus coming. Jesus' ministry beginning. Uh, and, and coming uh, and, and having a radically different ministry than, than John's. But what a, if we could just stand for the uh, prayer, and uh, we'll close with a worship song, if the worship team could come up. Father, I just thank you so much for uh, just revealing our hearts to us. Lord, you do that because you're gracious. You are exceedingly, abundantly gracious with us. And we thank you for that, Lord. And Father, we remember this morning that but for the cross, but for the blood, but for the fact that Jesus had victory over the grave, we wouldn't be here this morning. We wouldn't be people of your name, we wouldn't be Christians, as some people call them, followers of Jesus. Father, I just pray now for anyone in this room who has spent their life trying to perform, trying to be good enough to pray to you, trying to be good enough for heaven, trying to be good enough to be in a relationship for with you, Lord, that they would understand with full understanding, thorough understanding that heaven is a free gift. The relationship with you, Lord, is a free gift. It's all free. It's so free because it, it's so inexpensive because it was so expensive to you. You gave your own son, Lord. I pray that you would Settle that. That would be settled in the heart of anyone here this morning, Lord. He's never opened up their heart to Jesus. And Lord, just for all of us, that we would now walk in the confidence of who we are in Christ. And what he has done for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.